Appendix 4, Part 1 of Pilgrimage to Al-Medina and Mecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barty Begley. Appendix 4, Part 1 of Personal Narrative of a Pilgrimage to Al-Medina and Mecca by Richard Francis Burton. Appendix 4 the Navigation and Voyages of Ludovicus Vertomanus, Gentleman of Rome, A.D. 1503. The first of the pilgrims to Mecca and Al-Medina, who has left an authentic account of the holy cities, is Louis Vertomanus, Ludovico Bartema, Gentleman of the City of Rome. Footnote. I have consulted the Navigation and Voyages of Louis Vertomanus to the regions of Arabia, Egypt, Persia, Syria, Ethiopia, and East India, both within and without the river of Ganges, etc., containing many notable and strange things, both historical and natural, translated out of Latin into English by Richard Eden, in the year of our Lord, 1576. Hakluyt's Voyages, Volume 4. The curious reader will also find the work in Purchase, Pilgrims and Pilgrimage, Volume 2, and Ramusio, Raccolta della Navigazione e Viaggi, Toma 1. The Travels of Bartema were first published at Milan, A.D. 1511, and the first English translation appeared in Wills and Eden's Decades, four tomes, A.D. 1555. End of footnote. If any man, says this author, shall demand of me the cause of this my voyage, certainly I can show no better reason than is the ardent desire of knowledge, which hath moved many other to see the world and the miracles of God therein. In the year of our Lord, 1503, he departed from Venice with prosperous winds arrived at Alexandria and visited Babylon of Egypt, Berinto, Tripoli, Antioch and Damascus. He started from the latter place on the 8th of April, 1503, in familiarity and friendship with a certain Captain Mameluke, which term he applies to all such Christians as have forsaken their faith to serve the Mahometans and Turks, and in the garb of a Mameluki renegado. He estimates the Damascus caravan to consist of 40,000 men and 35,000 camels, nearly six times its present number. Footnote. The number of pilgrims in this caravan is still grossly exaggerated. I cannot believe that it contains more than 7,000 of both sexes and all ages. End of footnote. On the way, they were enforced to conflict with a great multitude of the Arabians. But the threescore Mamluks composing their escort were more than a match for 50,000 Bedouin. On one occasion, the caravan, attacked by 24,000 Arabians, slew 1,500 of the enemies, losing in the conflict only a man and a woman. Footnote. This may confirm Strabo's account of Aelius Gallus' loss after a conflict with a host of Arabs, two Roman soldiers. Monsignor Jomar, noticing the case, pleasantly remarks that the two individuals in question are to be pitied for their extreme ill look. End of footnote. This marvel, which is probably not without some exaggeration, he explains by the strength and valiance of the Mamluks, by the practice still popular of using the camels in the state of a bulwark and placing the merchants in the midst of the army, that is, in the midst of the camels, while the pilgrims fought manfully on every side, and, finally, by the circumstance that the Arabs were unarmed and wear only a thin loose vesture and are beside almost naked, their horses also being ill-furnished and without saddles or other furniture. The Hijazi Badui of this day are a much more dangerous enemy. The matchlock and musket have made him so, and the only means of crippling him is to prevent the importation of firearms and lead, and by slow degrees to disarm the population. 
after performing the ceremonies of pilgrimage to al Medina and Mecca, he escaped to Zida or Jida, Jeddah, despite the trumpeter of the caravana giving warning to all the Mamluks to make ready their horses to direct their journey towards Syria with proclamation of death to all that should refuse to do so, and embarked for Persia upon the Red Sea. He touched at certain ports of Al Yaman and got into trouble at Aden, where the Mahometans took him and put shackles on his legs which came by occasion of a certain idolater who cried after him saying o christian dog born of dogs footnote this venerable form of abuse still survives the lapse of time one of the first salutations reaching the ears of the overlands at alexandria is some little boys ya nazrani kalbawani etc etc o nazarene o dog obscene etc etc in percy's reliques we read of the knight calling his Muslim opponent unchristian hound, a retort courteous to the Christian hound previously applied to him by the pagan. End of footnote. The lieutenant of the sultan assembled his council, consulted them about putting the traveller to death as a spy of Portugales, and threw him ironed into a dungeon. On being carried shackled into the presence of the sultan, Bartema said that he was a Roman, professed a Mameluk in Babylon of Alcair. But when told to utter the formula of the Muslim faith, he held his tongue, either that it pleased not God, or that for fear and scruple of conscience he durst not. For which offence he was again deprived of ye fruition of heaven. But, happily for Bartema, in those days the women of Arabia were greatly in love with white men. Before escaping from Mecca, he lay hid in the house of a Mohammedan, and could not express his gratitude for the good wife's care. Also, he says, this furthered my good entertainment, that there was in the house a fair young maid, the niece of the Mahometan, who was greatly in love with me. At Aden he was equally fortunate. One of the sultan's three wives, on the departure of her lord and master, bestowed her heart upon the traveller. She was very fair and comely after their manner, and of colour inclining to black. She would spend the whole day in beholding Bartema, who wandered about simulating madness. Footnote. For a full account of the mania fit, I must refer the curious reader to the original. Book 2, Chapter 5. The only mistake the traveller seems to have committed was that, by his ignorance of the rules of ablution, he made men agree that he was no saint but a madman. End of footnote. And, in the mean season, diverse times, sent him secretly much good meat by her maidens. He seems to have played his part to some purpose under the colour of madness, converting a great fat sheep to Mohammedanism, killing an ass because he refused to be a proselyte, and finally he handled a Jew so ill that he had almost killed him. After sundry adventures and a trip to Sana'a, he started for Persia with the Indian fleet, in which, by means of fair promises, he had made friendship with a certain captain. He visited Zela and Berbera in the Somali country, and at last reached Hormuz. The third book entreateth of Persia, the fourth of India and of the cities and other notable things seen there. The eighth book contains the Voyage of India, in which he includes Pegu, Sumatra, Borneo and Java, where, abhorring the beastly manners of a cannibal population, he made but a short stay. Returning to Calicut, he used great subtility, escaped to the Portugalese, and was well received by the Viceroy. After describing in his seventh book the voyage or navigation of Ethiopia, Melinda, Mombasa, Mozambique, Mozambique and Zafala, Sofala, he passed the cape called Caput Bona Spei and repaired to the goodly city of Luxburn, Lisbon, 
where he had the honour of kissing hands. The king confirmed, with his great seal, the letters patentes, whereby his lieutenant, the viceroy of India, had given the pilgrim the order of knighthood. And thus, says Bartema by way of conclusion, departing from thence with the king's passport and safe conduct, at the length after these my long and great travails and dangers, I came to my long-desired native country, the city of Rome, by the grace of God, to whom be all honour and glory. This old traveller's pages abound with the information to be collected in a fresh field by an unscrupulous and hard-headed observer. They are, of course, disfigured with a little romancing. His Jews at Cabor near Al-Medina were five or six spans long. At Mecca he saw two unicorns, the younger at the age of one year and like a young colt. The horn of this is the length of four handfuls. Footnote. He proceeds, however, to say that the head is like a heart's, the legs thin and slender, like a fawn or hide, the hoofs divided much like the feet of a goat, that they were sent from Ethiopia, the Somali country, and were showed to the people for a miracle. They might therefore possibly have been African antelopes, which a lusus naturae had deprived of their second horn, but the suspicion of fable remains. End of footnote. And so credulous is he about anthropophagy, that he relates of Mahomet, son to the sultan of Sana'a, how he, by a certain natural tyranny and madness, delighteth to eat men's flesh, and therefore secretly killeth many to eat them. Footnote. This is a tale not unfamiliar to the Western world. Louis XI of France was supposed to drink the blood of babes pour rajeunir sa veine épuisée. The reasons in favour of such unnatural diet have been fully explained by the infamous Marquis de Sade. End of footnote. But all things well considered, Lodovico Bartema, for correctness of observation and readiness of wit, stands in the foremost rank of the old oriental travellers. I proceed to quote and to illustrate with notes the few chapters devoted in the first volume of this little-known work to Mecca and Al-Medina. Chapter 11 Of a mountain inhabited with Jews And of the city of Medina Tanabi where Mohammed was buried. In the space of eight days we came to a mountain which containeth in circuit ten or twelve miles. This is inhabited with the Jews, to the number of five thousand or thereabout. They are very little stature, as of the height of five or six spans, of some much less. They have small voices like women, and of black colour, yet some blacker than other. They feed of none other meat than goats' fleshes. Footnote. This is, to the present day, a food confined to the Badawin. End of footnote. They are circumcised, and deny not themselves to be Jews. If, by chance, any Mahometan come into their hands, they flay him alive. At the foot of the mountain we found a certain hole, out of which flowed abundance of water. By finding this opportunity, we laded sixteen thousand camels, which thing greatly offended the Jews. They wandered in that mountain, scattered like wild goats or prickets, yet durst they not come down, partly for fear, and partly for hatred against the Mahometans. Beneath the mountain are seen seven or eight thorn-trees, very fair, and in them we found a pair of turtle-doves, which seemed to us in manner a miracle, having before made so long journeys, and saw neither beast nor fowl. 
Then, proceeding two days' journey, we came to a certain city named Medinathalnabi. Four miles from the said city we found a well. Here the caravana, that is, the whole herd of camels, rested. And remaining here one day, we washed ourselves, and changed our shirts, the more freshly to enter into the city. It is well peopled, and containeth about three hundred houses. The walls are like bulwarks of earth, and the houses both of stone and brick. The soil about the city is utterly barren, except that about two miles from the city are seen about fifty palm trees that bear dates. Footnote. This alludes to the gardens of Cuba. The number of date trees is now greatly increased. See chapter 19. End of footnote. There, by a certain garden, runneth a course of water falling into a lower plain, where also passengers are accustomed to water their camels. Footnote. The Ain al-Zarka, flowing from the direction of Cuba. Chapter 18. End of footnote. And here, opportunity now serveth to confute the opinion of them which think that the ark or tomb of wicked Mohammed to hang in the air, not borne up with anything. As touching which thing, I am utterly of another opinion, and affirm this neither to be true, nor to have any likeness of truth, as I presently beheld these things, and saw the place where Mohammed is buried, in the said city of Medina Thalnabi. For we tarried there three days, to come to the true knowledge of all these things. When we were desirous to enter into their temple, which they call Meshita, footnote, Masjid, a mosque, end of footnote, and all other churches by the same name, we could not be suffered to enter without a companion little or great. They, taking us by the hand, brought us to the place where they say Mohammed is buried. Chapter 12 Of the Temple or Chapel and Sepulchre of Mohammed, and of his fellows. His temple is vaulted, and is a hundred paces in length, fourscore in breadth. The entry into it is by two gates. From the sides it is covered with three vaults. It is borne up with four hundred columns or pillars of white brick. There are seen hanging lamps about the number of three thousand. From the other part of the temple in the first place of the Meshita is seen a tower of the circuit of five paces vaulted on every side and covered with a cloth or silk and is borne up with a grate of copper curiously wrought and distant from it two paces and of them that go thither is seen as it were through a lattice. Footnote. Nothing can to more correct than this part of Bartima's description. Toward the left hand is the way to the tower, and when you come thither, you must enter by a narrower gate. On every side of those gates or doors are seen many books in manner of a library, on the one side twenty, and on the other side twenty-five. These contain the filthy traditions and life of Mohammed and his fellows. Within the said gate is seen a sepulchre, that is, a digged place, where they say Mohammed is buried and his fellows, which are these, Nabi, Bubakar, Othomar, Aumar and Fatuma. Footnote. Nabi, the prophet, Abu Bakr, Osman, Omar and Fatima. It was never believed that Osman was buried in the prophet's mosque. This part of the description is utterly incorrect. 
the tombs are within the tower above mentioned and bartima in his thirteenth chapter quoted below seems to be aware of the fact End of footnote. but mahomet was their chief captain and an arabian born halley was son-in-law to mahomet for he took to wife his daughter fatuma bubakar is he who they say was exalted to the dignity of a chief counsellor and great governor although he came not to the high degree of an apostle or prophet as did mahomet othomar and aumar were chief captains of the army of mahomet every of these have their proper books of facts and traditions and hereof proceedeth the great dissension and discord of religion and manners among this kind of filthy men while some confirm one doctrine and some another by reason of their diverse sects of patrons doctors and saints as they call them by this means they are marvellously divided among themselves and like beasts kill themselves for such quarrels of diverse opinions and all faults this also is the chief cause of war between the sophie of persia and the great turk being nevertheless both mahometans and live in mortal hatred one against the other for the maintenance of their sects saints and apostles while every of them thinketh their own to be best chapter thirteen of the sect of mahomet now will we speak of the manners and sect of mahomet understand therefore that in the highest part of the tower aforesaid is an open round place now shall you understand what craft they use to deceive our caravans the first evening that we came thither to see the sepulchre of mahomet our captain sent for the chief priest of the temple to come to him and when he came declared unto him that the only cause of his coming thither was to visit the sepulchre and body of nabi by which word signified the prophet mahomet and that he understood that the price to be admitted to the sight of these mysteries should be four thousand seraphs of gold also that he had no parents neither brothers sisters kinfolks children or wives neither that he came thither to buy merchandise as spices or bacca or nardus or any manner of precious jewels but only for very zeal of religion and salutation of his soul and was therefore greatly desirous to see the body of the prophet to whom the priest of the temple they called them side with countenance like one that were distraught footnote the request was an unconscionable one and the chief priest knew that the body being enclosed within four walls could not be seen End of footnote. made answer in this manner darest thou with those eyes with the which thou hast committed so many horrible sins desire to see him by whose sight god hath created heaven and earth to whom again our captain answered thus my lord you have said truly nevertheless i pray you that i may find so much favour with you that i may see the prophet whom when i have seen i will immediately thrust out mine eyes the side answered o prince i will open all things unto thee so it is that no man can deny but that our prophet died here who if he would might have died at mecca but to show in himself a token of humility and thereby to give us example to follow him was willing rather here than elsewhere to depart out of this world and was incontinent of angels born into heaven and there received as equal with them 
Then our captain said to him, Where is Jesus Christus, the son of Marie? To whom the side answered, At the feet of Mohammed. Footnote. This is incorrect. Hazrat Isa, after his second coming, will be buried in the prophet's Hujra. But no Muslim ever believed that the founder of Christianity left his corpse in this world. See chapter 16. End of footnote. Then said our captain again, It sufficeth, it sufficeth, I will know no more. After this, our captain coming out of the temple and turning to us said, See, I pray you, for what goodly stuff I would have paid three thousand seraphs of gold. The same day at evening, at almost three o'clock of the night, ten or twelve of the elders of the sect of Mahomet entered into our caravan, which remained not past a stone cast from the gate of the city. Footnote. Most probably in the Bar al-Manaka, where the Damascus caravan still pitches tents. End of footnote. These ran hither and thither, crying like madmen, with these words, Mohammed, the messenger and apostle of God, shall rise again. O prophet, O God, Mohammed shall rise again. Have mercy on us, God. Our captain and we, all raised with this cry, took weapon with all expedition, suspecting that the Arabians were come to rob our caravan. We asked what was the cause of that exclamation, and what they cried. For they cried as do the Christians, when suddenly any marvellous thing chanceth. The elders answered, Saw you not the lightning which shone out of the sepulchre of the prophet Muhammad? Footnote. This passage shows the antiquity of the still popular superstition which makes a light to proceed from the prophet's tomb. End of footnote. Our captain answered that he saw nothing, and we also, being demanded, answered in like manner. Then said one of the old men, Are you slaves? That is to say, bought men? meaning thereby Mamelukes. Then said our captain, We are indeed Mamelukes. Then again the old man said, You, my lords, cannot see heavenly things, as being neophyti, that is, newly come to the faith, and not yet confirmed in our religion. To this our captain answered again, O oh, you mad and insensate beasts, I had thought to have given you three thousand pieces of gold, but now, O oh, you dogs and progeny of dogs, I will give you nothing. It is therefore to be understood that none other shining came out of the sepulchre than a certain flame which the priests caused to come out of the open place of the tower. Footnote. It is unnecessary to suppose any deception of the kind. If only the Illuminati could see this light, the sight would necessarily be confined to a very small number. End of footnote. Spoken of here before, whereby they would have deceived us and therefore our captain commanded that thereafter none of us should enter into the temple. Of this also we have most true experience, and most certainly assure you that there is neither iron or steel or the magnese stone that should so make the tomb of Muhammad to hang in the air, as some have falsely imagined. Neither is there any mountain nearer than four miles. We remained here three days to refresh our company. To this city, Victuals and all kind of corn is brought from Arabia Felix and Babylon or Alcair, and also from Ethiop, by the Red Sea, which is from this city but four days' journey. Footnote. 
This account is correct. Cusair, Cusair, Suez and Jeddah still supply Al Medina. End of footnote. Chapter 14. The Journey to Mecca. Footnote. It is impossible to distinguish from this description the route taken by the Damascus caravan in A.D. 1503. Of one thing only we may be certain, namely, that between Al-Medina and Mecca there are no seas of sand. End of footnote. After we were satisfied, or rather wearied, with the filthiness and loathsomeness of the trumperies, deceits, trifles and hypocrisies of the religion of Mahomet, we determined to go forward on our journey, and that by guiding of a pilot who might direct our course with the mariner's box or compass, with also the card of the sea, even as is used in sailing on the sea. And thus, bending our journey to the west, we found a very fair well or fountain, from the which flowed great abundance of water. The inhabitants affirm that St. Mark the Evangelist was the author of this fountain, by a miracle of God, when that region was in manner burned with incredible dryness. Footnote. The name of St. Mark is utterly unknown in Al-Hijaz. Probably, the origin of the fountain described in the text was a theory that sprang from the brains of the Christian Mamluks. End of footnote. Here, we and our beasts were satisfied with drink. I may not here omit to speak of the sea of sand and of the dangers thereof. This was found of us before we came to the mountain of the Jews. In this sea of sand, we travelled the journey of three days and nights. This is a great broad plain, all covered with white sand, in manner as small as flour. If by evil fortune it so chanced that any travel that way southward, if in the meantime the wind come to the north, they are overwhelmed with sand, that they scatter out of the way, and can scarcely see the one the other ten paces off. And therefore the inhabitants travelling this way are enclosed in cages of wood, born with camels, and live in them. Footnote. A fair description of the still favourite vehicles the Shugduf, Taktrawan, and the Shibria. It is almost needless to say that the use of the mariner's compass is unknown to the guides in Al-Hijaz. End of footnote. So passing the journey, guided by pilots with mariner's compass and card, even as on the sea, as we have said. In this journey, also many perish for thirst, and many for drinking too much when they find such good waters. In these sands is found momia, which is the flesh of such men as are drowned in these sands, and there dried by the heat of the sun, so that those bodies are preserved from putrefaction by the dryness of the sand, and therefore that dry flesh is esteemed medicinable. Footnote. Wonderful tales are still told about this same momia, mummy. I was assured by an Arab physician that he had broken a fowl's leg and bound it tightly with a cloth containing man's dried flesh, which caused the bird to walk about with a sound shank on the second day. End of footnote. Albeit there is another kind of more precious momia, which is the dried and embalmed bodies of kings and princes, which of long time have been preserved dry without corruption. When the wind bloweth from the north-east, then the sand riseth, and is driven against a certain mountain, which is an arm of the Mount Sinai, Footnote. This is probably Jabal Warkan on the Darb al-Sultani or sea road to Mecca. For the Muslim tradition about its Sinaitic origin, see chapter 20. End of footnote.
there we found certain pillars artificially wrought, which they call Yan Yuan. On the left hand of the said mountain, in the top or ridge thereof, is a den, and the entry into it is by an iron gate. Some feign that in that place Mahomet lived in contemplation. Here we heard a certain horrible noise and cry, for passing the said mountain we were in so great danger that we thought never to have escaped. Departing therefore from the fountain, we continued our journey for the space of ten days, and twice in the way fought with fifty thousand Arabians, and so at the Lent came to the city of Mecca, where all things were troubled by reason of the wars between two brethren, contending which of them should possess the kingdom of Mecca. End of Appendix 4, Part 1